Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to unpack another tough loss and get to the bottom of it. The All-22 review coming your way, the key data points from Pro Football Focus, next-gen stats, and much, much more, plus the snap counts and what those mean, scanning the social. We're going to do it all on this Tuesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. We're going to kick this thing right off with the All-22 review as we do every single Tuesday here on the Drive Time Podcast. And we start with the quarterback because he made his first start since week number two against the Buffalo Bills. We saw basically four games without Tua. Now we have Tua games with Tua. And I just want to go through really the entire game as I kind of broke this thing down play by play and show you some of the best plays, some of the areas where he can improve and grow upon. And that was what Coach Flores talked about in his press conference on Monday, that he thought Tua played really well. There's always some throws you wish you could have back. I'll talk about some of the ones I think you wish you could have back, but also some of the stuff that Coach said he saw that was good that I also saw was good in this game. But number one is the feel for pressure and having the answer in regards to, to expedition of the process of that particular play. So when you have certain layers or progressions into a a route concept, you have either high to low or low to high, or you can go scan from one side to the next. There's multiple ways to scan the field and your progressions as a quarterback. But one of the things I like about Tua is that he knows where that short answer is and when the pressure arrives, how to get to that short answer when maybe his footwork is not quite set up or ready to go, or he's in the middle of the drop, how to interrupt that drop and get himself in position to where he can make the throw to that quick check, to that hot, and get the football out of his hands to not only negate a possible negative play, But to give you a positive play on a play where maybe, you know, an instance where it looks like it might be a sack and a big negative play, he finds a way to not only not take the sack, but to give himself three, four, five, six yards as a result. I love the eyes that Tua displays. There's a a play in this game where you see him start to the boundary. So dangerous because he does have an innate ability to keep his eyes downfield and process coverage and not get away from the routes down the field. He's so good when he approaches the line of scrimmage, whether he's running the football, as we saw three times for 22 yards in the game on Sunday, or attacking with the pass. And we'll talk about one play that the Dolphins would love to have back that they missed in this game on Sunday. But there's another play later in the game where Again, this is Tua's responsibility as far as pre-snap indicators and knowing what the defense is going to rotate to post-snap. And they use Jalen Waddle on so much motion, and those really help give him the pre-snap indicators. And he, of course, with Waddle, knows really well how to operate within the zones and creating space within those zones. I thought we saw some of that chemistry early on with Tua and Waddle, like on a first down completion on the opening drive where he basically is in the same neighborhood as Albert Wilson, but he works himself clear into his zone to give himself a target for Tua to find and a big first down on that opening drive. Then they come right back with an RPO pop to Mac Collins for 18 yards. And this is where the mechanics and the footwork come into play because Tua starts this play facing to the left and he fakes the handoff and he has to realign completely to get back to his right. And he does it without sacrificing any accuracy. Like 
go out in your backyard and try to stand with your back to your target and then flip around and throw that ball to your target and see how accurate you are. He does it so flawlessly. Obviously, NFL quarterbacks versus you, big difference, and there should be. But I love watching the consistency with which Tua can get himself into that throwing position and then throw accurately from that position. And like I said, in this particular instance, he catches the ball for eight yards, runs for 10 more after the catch, and that's a product of good accuracy on a play where it's tough to have good accuracy when your baseline's not established before you make that throw. And there are so many plays where, how do I want to phrase this? Not that the offensive line doesn't matter, but the ball is out literally before there's even a chance for the pass rush to get home, catch, rock, and throw. They called up so many plays, I would say 10 or 12 of these plays, where the offensive line, I mean, you have to still play, but they basically have the playoff because the ball's out so fast that your pass rush is completely irrelevant on that play. Later in the game, there's a deep crosser to Mike Gesicki. Well, it's actually later in the opening drive where, and I tweeted about this on my old Twitter account at Wingfield NFL, where the Jaguars are showing a five-man pressure look up front and the dime or the nickelback rather comes up and shows pressure as well. So you have six guys across the line of scrimmage all showing pressure and the the dime or the nickelback, I don't know why I keep calling him dime, he actually comes on pressure and Malcolm Brown does a great job of coming across the formation, scan and search, gets inside, looks inside, nothing there, goes back outside, picks up that nickel blitzer, but the nosebacker head up over the football and we've seen Jerome Baker do this so many times here in Miami, he starts to get depth and coverage and he gets about 10 yards down the field and if you watch Tua's throwing motion, he steps off to the right and as he makes that stride to the right, you watch that linebacker, he takes a step that direction as well and then in comes Mike Gesicki behind him who gets free and clear and Tua puts the ball right on him and sets him down away from the defender who's on the other side of the zone, putting him in perfect position to make a catch for a big play. Influence on the defense, not just with the eyes, but the feet and the body position. Type in at Wingfield NFL on Twitter and type in Tua and, and maybe feet or body position. I've tweeted about that for like five years now. It's one of my favorite parts about his game. There's a third and four later in the same drive. The Dolphins were so efficient. There were so many plays to point out here where they have Waddle in a stack position behind Mac Hollins and Albert Wilson motions and the guy follows him across the formation. So then you have what looks like man coverage, right? That's your pre-snap indicator. And Waddle from the stack runs an out route and he throws the ball before the post-snap picture would show you what the coverage is. So trusting the pre-snap read and putting the football in a location based upon that pre-snap read and doing it accurately, throwing it wide out of harm's way on the speed out route to Waddle to convert another third down on this drive. A great throw and great process going into the throw. There's another play just a few plays later where he runs for the first down and then finishes with a touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle, which by the way, he checks out of a run pass on that or run play on that play. And I like the feet, the footwork again on this play because he's staggered under center. The right foot is back. The left foot is up and he opens with a drop step. So the right foot's already back, right? He gets more depth with that right foot by taking it further back. And then he pivots all the way around 180 degrees back to his left and brings the left foot with him and uses that as the plant slash drive foot. And the ball is right on time, right on target for a touchdown to Waddle, throwing the ball to space and Waddle's ability to create separation and kind of keep that defensive back honest on the takeoff or the out route or the in route helps create that space as well. Just good chemistry there between Tua and Waddle and the footwork and mechanics help Tua be accurate and on time. It's a treat to watch. Go watch Game Pass if you have not done so yet. There's plenty of examples just like this. On the very next drive, the first play, we're starting this game hot for, for the quarterback here. A deep crosser to Mike Gesicki. Four Jags defenders are deep. It looks like maybe quarters. And Mike works in behind 
that second shell, the 10-yard shell where linebackers are at, and Tua lays this thing right out over the outstretched hand of the linebacker while he's getting hit. Big-time throw, and there was a few of them in this game. Then the missed third and two throw, a lot to unpack there. First, I want to talk about how he's capable of creating these off-script situations, and it comes from the footwork. Again, you see him hit the top of the drop, and the left foot kicks out away from the pressure, and the minute that foot hits the ground, he's so balanced and on balance that the spring in his next step, it's that quick twitch we talk about how he gets from one spot, and it's not teleportation, but it kind of looks like it. It's such a quick twitch ability because he's always balanced and square under his shoulders and the feet are so quick that he can get away from those dangerous situations and put himself into positive situations. Again, if you have game pass, please go watch it. But then the play gets even more interesting to me because he has Waddle coming from the opposite side of the formation wide open. But he throws the ball before that. I'll tell you why I, I thought this was the other way around when I first saw this. Because he also has Mac Collins wide open on the same side of the formation as him. But I think Waddle might have been a walk-in touchdown. And originally I thought what it looks like to me was he didn't expect both of them to come open. And then he wound up kind of in between targets where you say, I'm going to throw it to here. You know, I want to throw it to there. And ah, it kind of gets in between. But then you slow it down. And the minute Mac works behind the defender... He has nothing but green grass in front of him, and Tua sees it instantly. Like, the minute he gets behind him, he's stacked, and he just lobs this thing out there, and he doesn't stop, but you see Mac Hollins just kind of slow down for a beat, probably thinking he has to come back and make a block for his quarterback, so you can't blame it on either guy. They just didn't communicate it at all, but that half beat was all it took for Mac to not be able to run under this thing and take that football basically uncontested inside the five-yard line, one slip tackle away from a touchdown, and you could see Tua's reaction after the play. He knew they missed a big one, and it was just a miscommunication. So that's kind of one of those things where experience, more time together. This is the kid's 12th start in the National Football League, but man, the processing to understand that and put it all together, I'm so impressed by what he can do in just 12 games into his career as far as understanding game situations like this and thinking under the heat of the moment. He's really quick in that regard and how he processes things. Luckily, the next play is another one of his big-time throws and back to Mac Hollins on the dig route. A dig route, if you're new to the podcast, is about 50, anywhere from 12 to 15 yards, push up field, take an in route across the middle. You used to call it down and in when you were a kid. It's called a dig route at this level. But he runs the dig from the uh, from trips to the field side of the formation. So the field side is the wide side, the, the far hash mark, all that fun stuff. And they have trips to that side of the formation where both Mike and Waddle run crossers, and those guys are blanketed, completely blanketed. So the only option on fourth and two is a 15-yard in cut to Mac. And Mac stacks the cornerback for just a beat. Does a good job of doing that, but the minute he stacks him, Tua fires that thing into tight coverage into a spot where... Who knows how that's going to play out because if Mac doesn't continue to win that route, maybe the DB can undercut it, but he trusts in his guy and throws a shot to that dig route to a spot and it meets Mac right on time, right on target for a big 20-yard reception and a first down on fourth and two. And honestly, that's the kind of anticipation that I thought we saw on the play prior where they're on different pages. You're going to have some mishaps when you're kind of working in still with new guys and again, just 12 games into his career. It takes a while to develop that stuff, but it's there. And so I think if you can continue to build around that and get guys that can get on the same page as him and get familiar with him, man, the upside seems like it's very, very high there. Fast forward to 26 seconds left in the second quarter. He throws a deep route to Matt Collins where the ball is out before he even comes out of the break. And it almost looks like it surprised Mac a little bit because the ball comes out and Matt kind of checks up. I just have such an appreciation for the anticipation because he's throwing the football to spots 
in anticipation of that receiver getting there. And it's happened so frequently, successfully in this game that you feel really good about it going forward. There's a third and nine a few plays later where it's a five-man rush, and they overload their pressure off the right side, and it gets home immediately. Then a looper from that side comes right down the pike down the middle. So Tua has no escape route because he wanted to flush to the right, or excuse me, he wanted to climb up after the pressure off the right got there, but the pocket is muddy, and he has to stop his feet as he tries to climb up, and just look at the feet. It's He's trying to climb, he's trying to reset, and it's just, it's very pretty the way he can get himself into these throwing positions, and he does it. He gets into that position with bodies at his feet, with hands in his face. And this ball, my goodness, what a throw right on the money away from the leverage of the defender and a tough, tough catch by Jalen Waddle. Another really impressive play there from that two connection, the Alabama connection to it to Waddle. I've got such high hopes for that, man. And then later in the game, it's another great different type of pass from Tua. A touch pass on a seam shot to Durham Smythe on the 91-yard drive, right between two high safeties. Run your tight end between them, bust that thing up, force him out of that too high coverage. He just lays that thing out there and away from the leverage. Now his guy gets hit, Smythe gets hit, but the location of the ball was chef's kiss, man. Some things I thought could have been better from Tua in this game. We're not talking all things positive here. He had Isaiah Ford on a jerk route that he didn't throw. It was an eventual throwaway, and that might be judging him critically, but that's what I want to do here and be very honest and transparent about the entire process of this quarterback because you have to evaluate these guys all year, every year, and I thought that that ball could have gone to Isaiah Ford on that jerk route as he was kind of looking that direction, and the throwaway went in that direction. Number two, a stick route to Mac Collins. Mike Gesicki runs a backside slant that's open, but Tua quickly went to the other side. Again, that could be the play call where it's like, boom, catch rock, throw, get that ball out. Don't even concern yourself with the backside of the formation. But when you see guys running open, you, you ask the question, why didn't the ball go there, right? Number three, a completion this time to Durham Smythe, where he might have had Waddle in a situation where Andrew Wingard, the safety, is basically 10 yards off the line, and it's like an even leave-in situation. Waddle's on a full sprint running right for him, and he takes the quick check on the outside to Durham Smythe, where he might have had a chance to put the ball into the end zone for like a 25-yard possible touchdown throw to Waddle if it all worked out. But again, that's kind of nitpicking. Number four, after the hold on Seathan Carter, which by the way, I don't know about that one. But anyway, it's first and goal from the 20. Tua goes quickly to Mike Gesicki on a two-yard speed route to the speed out route to the boundary. Getting ahead of myself here. And he has Savon Ahmed on a one-on-one option in space on a Texas route. I would have loved to have seen that route because it's basically a linebacker on Ahmed with a bunch of space in the middle of the field, and he takes it to the outside. Might have been a big gainer up the middle. The fifth one that I like I did not like as much on the short throw or the, the throw that was short of the sticks to Mike Gesicki the first time, Albert Wilson's wide open on a crossing route over the middle. Again, you can't assess blame here because I'm not part of the play call in the huddle, but just telling you what I see, and then to be fair also, pressure was coming quick and it was in the end zone too. So get that ball out of your hands quickly, but he had a chance to go to Albert Wilson on that throw. Number six, a deep shot to Waddle. Now, I saw people keep talking about Kirk Merritt on this play. Kirk Merritt didn't play any offensive snaps in the game. It was Isaiah Ford. And Waddle and Ford run a switch release on the outside, which is one guy's inside, one guy's outside, and then they switch. The outside guy goes inside, the inside guy goes outside. And the safety's back is to the post. So he's facing the sideline, which is where the ball goes to Jalen Waddle. And Ford's going to the post, and that's why the ball eventually runs into double coverage. I'm not sure what he saw there, but Ford to the post would have been the better option based upon leverage when he threw the football. Number seven, the interception. I just don't think he accounted for that defender being there. They played a lot of two high looks and zone coverage throughout the course of this game where the corner's playing underneath 
and there's a flat route to hold him, and that's typically what you need. You have to have someone to the corner, someone to the flat to kind of occupy that cover two type of look or the safety up and the corner back down. And the corner does a great job of falling off, and it's a bad job on our part by not seeing him fall off because Waddle's right behind him all alone on a deep comeback where he ran the safety completely out of the play, like a solid five or six yards plus beyond Waddle's location. So just a miss ID by Tua, and it almost looks like a little flinch towards Malcolm. Maybe has him thinking, if I sell this to the flat, he'll take it, but he never bit. He stayed in that area, and that's why it looks so bad because he threw it to where a defender was that he didn't think was there. And I'm not entirely sure if that's the case. That's what I saw watching it from my own two eyes on the All-22. And then finally, number eight, the incomplete pass to Miles Gaskin that was challenged and lost, which was a drop, actually. Albert Wilson, once again, was wide open on a crossing route. And again, we don't know the progressions, but that would have been an easier throw. And I thought he had time to get to it. But all things told, like a B-plus, A-minus performance here from two. I thought he was very good. I think he continues to give you more of a chance on third and long and just the ability to kind of mitigate pressure. You know, no sacks in this game. Really good comeback here from Tua Tungabailoa. All right, I apologize for the audio on this. I left my mic behind and had to make this addition because it was in my notes and I forgot to put it in the podcast when going back through my review. But some credit to the offensive line where credit is due. No sacks in this game, which obviously helps the offense in the passing game, go to 431 total yards, keeping Tua Tungabailoa upright and his return back to the lineup and developing some continuity with the first back-to-back games with the same offensive line combination. We've talked about them and and criticized their play this year when they've been poor. You have to give credit where credit is due and talk about how this offensive line improved their play in this game and gave the Dolphins offense a chance. Again, I apologize for the audio quality here. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. Across the offensive line, the biggest issue I see with regards to when they lose in pass protection is late reaction and rotation. So games are causing some issues up front with regards to running different stunts and and slants and twists and loopers if they're just a a beat late on that stuff kind of a theme on this podcast we'll continue to come back to that on the defensive side there's a third and one play where the Dolphins bring Jacoby Brissett into the game it was great execution by Brissett on the throw and I love the call because you see 10 Jaguars defenders come up to me it was the best call of the year offensively because those guys were expecting run all the way and we talk about getting explosive plays third and short's a great opportunity for explosive plays Miami took it and hit it good time stuff there Good time stuff, big time stuff. Liam Eichenberg had a rough game. We'll talk about that in the numbers. He got beat a couple of times in the first two drives. Outside post was an issue for him all day, just trying to reach and get around that outside edge. And the pass rush for the Jaguars just kept getting home on him. Later in the game, he was dispatched on a running play where he got stacked and chucked. Just not his best game. Same deal with Austin Jackson. Saw some of the same issues he had out of tackle with the punch and hand placement. That's when he's getting beat with the hands. It's just it's not been functional as far as the, the punch and the strength uh, to throw those hands. And when he was on the move, though, as, as a pulling guard or out in space, that's why that's where he was good and why I think it's probably his best bet to have a shot here at that guard position. At the running back spot, man, talking about pass pro, Malcolm Brown, we talked about the five-man pressure nosebacker play where he scans and gets all the way across the formation. Fantastic work there by Malcolm Brown. And also his 16-yard run, was well blocked all around, and he was responsible for making a guy miss in the gap. We'll cover that in the PFF numbers, how important that is for a running back. Jesse Davis, I thought there was way too many instances of bending at the waist, getting out over his skis, especially on a crossing route to Mike Gesicki that to a hit. He takes a big hit, but leverage is a problem on that play, and it so often is for this offensive line when they get those pressures. 20 in this game for the Jaguars, but still no sex. Good, good number there. 
I thought Robert Hunt was really good in the running game, and Greg Mance was good all around. I thought both of them had really good games, in fact. Hunt was playing a little bit faster, I thought, this week. Quicker off the ball, arriving with real force, a couple of pull plays where he blocks out the sun. And then on the receiver position, Matt Collins, he did so much right in this game. Stacked guys throughout the course of the day, getting on top of them. And so too did Jalen Waddle. I mean, he's so good at getting into the defensive back and putting them in a completely mysterious position with regards to where he's going to break that route next. Like Waddle dictates the pace of the route where he can say, I'm going to cut left, right, up, or go back. And then you have to react to that. And a guy with the 4-2 speed, that's tough to do. And also his ability to score on those flat routes by the pylon is such a great display of his athletic ability to stay on his feet, reach the ball across. It's, I'm just so impressed by him. And there's so many plays where if we had just a beat longer, he could uncover. He uncovers right after pressure arrives and we could hit some of those big plays. So when you talk about being close, man, I think Waddle is, is very close to having some, some big plays go his way based upon what I'm seeing on the All-22 this season. As far as big plays, Mike Gesicki hit a few of them. His route running is the best on the team right now for my money. He and Waddle are, are right there neck and neck, but he knows when to bend that thing back to the quarterback, how to flatten his routes on those crossers or when Tua gets out wide, where to kind of settle down. Just so reliable and trustworthy about where he's going to be. And then also the hands to make those catches. Eight for nine yesterday. That's a big time production day for Mike Gesicki. Miles Gaskin, after the offensive pass interference on Mac. He has a pass, a swing route into the flat where he's got 10 yards of separation from the next nearest defender, but he juggles the football and he got no yak after that. That one hurt so bad. That was a big position to get some yards and get back ahead of the chains, but they, they kind of, they lost it right there because of the juggle. Savon Ackman, I thought he looked the most explosive. He just gets it and goes. I'm very intrigued by his game, but he also had a killer drop in this one. My final note on the offense I love the designs of getting Gasicki and Waddle together on different layers, like Waddle underneath, Gasicki over the top. It gives the defense so much to think about because these guys are such pr- productive players for multiple reasons, but it's the deep crossing route on the 91-yard drive. Watch Waddle underneath and Gasicki over the top. That really gave the Jaguars fits. I love that concept and design. Some of the better designs in this game, I thought, from an offensive perspective, and again, the quarterback play and the rest of the offense, we saw a big jump in production, uh, more than 101 yards than the previous season high back in Las Vegas. Defensively, lots of situations where the cornerbacks are off, the linebackers are responsible for the flat, and lots of zone coverage. We covered that in the Sunday podcast or Monday podcast. But one problem that can arise in zone is when the quarterback sees it and fires it. Like when he feels it quickly, you're going to have a situation where you have receivers on the move against defenders standing still. And that happened on the Jaguars' first drive, a third and four. The receiver drops the football but Lawrence got it to him right in that zone, right when he crossed face on Eric Rowe and the ball just got dropped. But Rowe picked up a man and you kind of see him go to run with him and then passes it off. And as that ball meets the receiver in the gap, Rowe has to react after that and the ball's just out before he can get there and he has to recover. So that was a challenge I thought for this defense was some of those zone looks. And when Lawrence saw it and ripped it, that's when they opened things up. And that's, that's kind of how zone works. Against That's why you can't play it against a guy like Tom Brady because he's going to see everything and hit everything on you. Uh, some players I loved in this game. Christian Wilkins, if you want to see specifically where his game is going to another level this year, watch the hands. 
He's gotten quicker with him, if you ask me, and they're still very heavy as well. He has a rep on Cam Robinson, that's right, a left tackle, where he invites the punch with a quick first step upfield and then just shoots the hands right across Robinson's punch and knocks him over and knocks him to the ground. You see how he can stack and play off either side of that stack, like a true two-gap defender, right? Stack him up, peek your head off the side, and get into either gap you have to go based upon where the running back goes. He's so strong in that area. He had the big strip sack where he came off the edge and played from that three-technique position right off the outside shoulder of the guard, went the long way around, around Jawan Taylor, Jacksonville right tackle, and cornered like a true pass rusher and got the football out for a big strip sack. He's having himself a heck of a year. I think Jalen Phillips... Had a couple of plays where his edge was not very strong. Had one play where he forced James Robinson to reverse his field and go back for a TFL. I think Andrew Van Ginkle picked it up. But I continue to be impressed by Phillips' work, mainly because of the attention that he's commanding. He's drawn lots of double teams, guys. Lots of chips. Lots of attention in the pass protection and the running game. I mean, the play that I'm talking about where he set the very strong edge, and there was some fun back and forth on Twitter about whether or not he did set a strong edge. They tried to crack him with LaVisca Chenault. He basically tosses the receiver aside, then takes on a long arm from the right tackle, or left tackle rather, gets that off of him. And then Chenault comes back and he tosses him aside again and says, "I thou shall not pass. I'm standing right here. You're not going to get to my edge. And that ability with the ability to take on so many blockers, I think has created more and more chances for Emmanuel Ogba, who is making the most of his one-on-one matchups. Ogba basically didn't, he disappeared for the Buccaneers game. But other than that, he's been dominant. Like the length, the swat he had at line scrimmage, the, the sack that he had in this game. It's the, the patented cross chop move. You put your hands on me, I'm going to use that inside hand and swat those things away. Dip that shoulder, get around the edge, corner and flat to the quarterback, and he did it very well. He continues to hold the point against the running game as well. Jacksonville did not have a great rushing day in this one, and some good play off the edge was helpful for that from both Phillips and Ogba, as well as Wilkins. Also thought Zach Sealer did a good job fighting through double teams. And you know, his bull rush puts the linemen across from him in such so much conflict. He put a dude on the ground and had a quarterback hit in the second quarter where he basically just puts those long arms out and leans on you and runs through you, and you better find the sand in your pants to anchor because if you don't, he'll run right through you. Uh, Brandon Jones, I thought, had a rough game in this one. He took a bad angle on the very first play of the game that led to a big catch and run on a screen pass. He also got sucked in and caught in the wash uh, as the end man on the defensive formation on a long James Robinson run, which was called back for a hold away from the formation, but it didn't really impact the play. But if if Brandon Jones stays out wide, he doesn't have the opportunity to get to the edge there. So just a, a tough couple of plays there for Brandon Jones. thought Jerome Baker was much better this week um, than he was in the previous week. Good speed back on display, sure tackling in space. He was busy on a lot of crossing routes and mesh concepts where – They just tried to go after the linebackers underneath, and he didn't give a whole lot to those guys in most situations. At the the defensive backfield, I thought Noah Igbenogany had a nice stick in space on the opening drive, a good tackle in space, and he was in great position on two of those throws that he gave up. Just got to get around and beat quicker, and Brian Flores talked about this on Monday, how he's so close, and that's the case in so many areas for this team, whether it's on the offensive side of the football and running lanes or the passing game and spacing, run fits on defense or you know, a pass here or there, like just so many plays where they're so close and it just hasn't quite happening for them yet. And coach mentioned how that's the difference sometimes between a gain of three yards and a gain of six yards, those very fine details. And just right now for a guy like Noah Igbenogany for the Dolphins team, it's just a fraction of the way off 
And those fine details are where you lose football games. Justin Coleman, I thought, had his best game as a Miami Dolphin. Hit a near pick on a deep over route. Just a great job running the route for the receiver and undercutting that thing. Looking like Xavier Howard until the very end where he couldn't quite finish the catch. But a great play and a good game for Coleman nonetheless. Also thought Javon Holland was fantastic once again. And his ability to help disguise coverages. Like There was a second pl- uh, play in the second quarter where they show zero blitz. And the... The last line of defense is like seven, eight yards off the football. He's five yards off the ball, head up over the inline wide tight end, and he just takes off back to the post after the snap. And it was a nice disguise and post-snap rotation to confuse the young quarterback. And the pass breakup he had was so, so very good. Second and 15 in the second quarter. He's on the field side hash, wide side of the field. And Lawrence wheels out of pressure to the boundary on an unblocked Emmanuel Ogba and gets himself space to throw with. And he tries to throw the ball to LaVisca Chenault, who sets his route down from that same boundary side. And Holland comes all the way over from the other side of the field and gets around Chenault for the PBU. And the ball was right on his chest, but he still was able to reach around and poke that thing out without interfering on the hand on the back. A great play. Then he gets another pass breakup a couple of plays later, but he was hit for a flag that I strongly disagreed with. Nonetheless, I really love watching this kid play. He is he's the absolute looks the part of a strong of a really star safety in this league. Thought Jacksonville did a good job staying patient, and you're probably asking Travis so many positives. Where where did they lose the game? Well, I thought they did a good job staying patient and taking what was there and that and finding favorable matchups and occasional nice run. Trevor Lawrence getting out on the move and extending plays was really where their offense produced most of their of their plays. And most of the time against structure, I thought Miami was in good sound position. I thought Wilkins defeated blocks with regularity. thought Ogba's pass rush and run game was just too much for them to handle throughout the course of the game. thought Jerome Baker had a lot of good reps in multiple roles. And I thought Holland was super strong again. Some other areas that need to be better, but some of the pick stunts they ran up front are just, they're a hair away from working and getting big production uh, as far as some of those games. And maybe a little bit tighter and better coverage in the back end. Maybe X and Byron come back can help you get to those. That's kind of the theme of this tape and the season for me through six games. Close, but just a hair away from turning those closes into big plays. All right, that's enough tape talk for this podcast. Let's get into the details and get the heck out of here. On pro football focus, Tua's deep passing was not good. One for six, 32 yards and an interception. However, here's where Miami was able to get their best offensive output of the year and their fifth highest production day in the last five years, 431 yards. In the 10 to 19 range, he was eight for eight with 151 yards. Yeah, that'll play. Good intermediate passing. I don't care much for PFF grades, but they were very high on Tua's game. 83.9 in this game. That was a career high, but it's not hard to see why. He completed seven of 10 passes when blitzed both for touchdowns. He completed nine of 17 when pressured for 116 yards and the bad pick we talked about. But I would argue that was not a product of the pressure because he escaped the pressure. He just made a bad decision when he confirmed, which he confirmed in his press conference after the game. So an average depth of target, 8.5 yards, adjusted completion percentage of 79.5%, no sacks on 20 uh, pressures or pressured on 20 dropbacks, I should say, without the sack, average ball out time of 2.46 seconds. At the running back position, they only forced one missed tackle. That was Malcolm Brown. He averaged four yards after initial contact, that big 16-yard run where he won his matchup in the gap for a big run. Savon Ahmed, 2.86 yards after contact. Miles Gaskin, 1.4. We rushed for four first downs on 17 carries. At receiver, yards per route run and yards per target. Mike Gesicki, 3.19 yards per route run, 12.8 yards per target. What a big day for him. Also, Durham Smythe, 1.84 yards per route run and 9.8 yards per target. A huge day for Durham Smythe. 
Jalen Waddle just 1.46 yards per route run, 5.38 yards per yard per target. Again, that's kind of the product of his what's being asked of him right now. And then Mac Hollins, 1.22 yards per route run and 12.2 yards per target. Big day across the board for these guys. No sacks in the day, but pressure numbers. Jesse Davis had six, according to Pro Football Focus. Two of those were QB hits. Austin Jackson, five. None of those were QB hits. Liam Eikenberg, five. One QB hit. Robert Hunt, two. No QB hits. And Greg Mance, one with no QB hits. Defensively, pressure numbers. Jerome Baker and Emmanuel Ogba, four apiece. Zach Sealer and Jalen Phillips, three apiece. Javon Holland and Nick Needham, two apiece. And then five players had one pressure. Run stops, five players had one as well. Wilkins, Van Ginkle, Roberts, and Ogba had two apiece. And then Raekwon Davis and Jerome Baker all had, or both had three run stops in this game. Some notable coverage stats. Nick Needham targeted just four times in this game for 36 yards. Javon Holland allowed two catches on four targets for 40 yards and a pass breakup. Noah Igbenogany, five receptions on seven targets for 64 yards and a touchdown. Justin Coleman, just three for five, 13 yards. And Eric Rowe, one for three with seven yards allowed. Some next-gen stats. Tua's 2.58 time to throw is the fifth quickest in the National Football League. And Malcolm Brown's the only back on the roster with a positive rush yards over expected. He is at .06 yards over expected per rush. Separation numbers, Waddles tied for eighth in the NFL at 4.1 yards average separation. Mike Gesicki had a big jump this week from 2.3 yards last week to 2.9 this week. He was getting open all game long. And that's really it with the injuries and shared backfield work. We don't have guys that qualify in a lot of the next-gen areas. Some of the snap counts here, just real quick off the end of the podcast. Offensively, the O-line went wire to wire, 70 snaps. Tua played 69. Jacoby had the one snap in the passing game there. Malcolm Brown and Miles Gaskin played 25 reps apiece, and Malcolm Brown was up in those A-gaps a lot, like aligned right behind the guard to just pick up interior pressure a lot on the offensive line. I thought he did a great job with that. He was in the game a lot for that. And then Savon Ahmed played 19 snaps, so the most balanced game for the running backs of the season. Mac Hollins led receivers with 68 snaps, Jalen Waddle 65, then a big drop-off, Albert Wilson 23, Isaiah Ford 5, so plenty of 12 personnel, as you'll hear here. Durham Smythe 58 snaps to lead tight ends, Mike Gesicki 49, Hunter Long 9, and uh, Seathan Carter 4 snaps. So Hollins, Waddle, Smythe, and Gesicki was basically your 12 personnel package with a three-man rotation at running back for the most of this game. Defensively, Christian Wilkins, 46 snaps, led the way up front as far as interior defensive linemen. Raekwon Davis, 36. Zach Sealer, 29. Adam Butler, 26. And John Jenkins, 7. So Butler's snap count goes down a little bit. He had been near the top of that list through the course of the season so far. But now Wilkins and Davis have a decent gap there between Sealer and Butler. And then Jalen Phillips off the edge, 54 snaps. Andrew Van Ginkle, 46. Emmanuel Ogba, 41. Brandon Scarlett, 8 snaps. Jerome Baker, 65 at linebacker. Alandon Roberts, 31. Sam Aguavin, 15. Duke Riley, 1 snap. Coleman and Igbo in the secondary played 66 snaps apiece. That was out of 66. And the offense played 70, by the way. So both the cornerbacks played the entire game. Nick Needham had 41 snaps in the game. Javon Holland played every snap, all 66. Brandon Jones played 48. Eric Rowe, 19. And Jason McCourty played 14. So... We saw some McCourty at safety and cornerback as well. So some juggling there in the secondary, being down X and Byron obviously makes it pretty difficult for you on that back end. But we have some depth there. I thought you saw that in this game. Some special team stats, Clayton Fedulum, 23. Snap counts, Brian Scarlett, 22. Uh, uh, Brandon Jones, 19. And Elijah Campbell, 18. 
Scanning the social, my last segment here on this Tuesday podcast, and I apologize for the speed. There was lots of information to get to that I wanted to talk about, especially Tua's game. But scanning the social, well, I don't have one this week. I'm not sure there's a whole lot out there that I can dispute right now. At one and five, you kind of just have to wear that, and that's what we're going to do here and get the heck out of here. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating and leave us a review. I haven't got a new review in a while. I want to hear from you guys. Let me know. How are you doing on the podcast here? Leave us that rating. Leave us that review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast and the postgame show on 560 WQAM. The Fish Tank has... James McKnight coming up this week. You don't want to miss that one. Check out our YouTube channel for all the media availabilities. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com for everything Miami Dolphins football related. Until next time, fins up. And Caroline, Daddy is coming home.